good to be with you. It's good to, to worship together uh, on this beautiful summer day uh, as, as uh, we enjoy one another's fellowship and, and support and love. Um, it's good today also that we are continuing our summer series called to, where we're talking about the different ways that God calls us to participate in what God's up to in the world and that God calls each of us just as we are to participate in God's love and mercy at work around us in our community and throughout the world. Um, today for our, for our series, we turn to the Old Testament um, and to Second uh, Kings as we see the torch of, of prophecy being passed from Elijah to Elisha. Wonderful story. Friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from Second Kings, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha answered, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elisha, sorry, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and the water parted to one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. When he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted on the one side and to the other. Elisha went over. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. As some of you know, and as anyone who has visited my office knows, I am a lifelong fan of the Green Bay Packers. I grew up wearing my Brett Favre jersey every Sunday. Not to church, mind you, my mother would not allow that, but as soon as I got home, that thing came on. Favre was the quarterback through my childhood, and I loved his high-risk style, his energy and passion that was so evident to anyone who ever watched it. All of a sudden, in my early childhood, comes along Aaron Rodgers, who was drafted in the first round while Favre was still thriving as a starting quarterback, albeit getting a little older. 
Rogers had a very different style. He was measured, composed, methodical, a true student of the game. He could even run with the ball. But this exciting new prospect would have to wait his turn for a little while on the bench, and maybe even learn from the legendary Favre. Apparently, the first time Rogers meets Favre in training camp before his first year, the young rookie goes up to the legend in the locker room and says, Hey, Grandpa. Needless to say, the relationship didn't get off to the best start. But eventually, especially after Favre moved on and later retired, the relationship grew more and more, and Rogers even considers Favre one of his mentors. So even though the full story includes a rocky start and transition, eventually, at least in the eyes of us Packers fans, we see the legends uh, of the two as the torch being passed from Favre to Rogers. But the story's a little messier. In our reading today, we see the torch being passed between two legendary prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the prophetic giant of the Old Testament, and this story is part of why that is. I mean, he gets to go to heaven on a whirlwind with a fiery chariot escorting his way. But Elijah is also the prophet whose long and arduous work moved Israel back to God and away from Baal. Elisha, for whom the prophetic torch, or more literally here, mantle, is passed will go on from here to have quite a tenure of his own as Israel's premier prophet, as he deepens Israel's relationship with Yahweh and effectively shares God's power over all the nations. But at this point in our story today, Elisha is still the backup quarterback, still learning from Elijah and patiently waiting his turn. And in this text, it comes, quite dramatically, mind you. Scholar Daniel Hawk points out the geographical significance in our reading. First, they go from Gilgal, a shrine marking Israel's entrance into the promised land, as well as the place where God inaugurates Israel's monarchy. They travel then to Bethel, a sanctuary close to the crossroads of of the northern and southern kingdoms, a place that quite literally symbolizes the divided Israel. Finally, though, they arrive at the Jordan River, another significant place marking a boundary as well as a transition. It's here among these important places where this changing of the prophetic guard will take place. Elijah's mantle plays a big role in this torch passing. Now think of a mantle as a cloak or a coat without sleeves that you would drape over yourself. These stoles that pastors wear are in part symbolized by the prophetic mantle. He puts this around Elisha when he first called him to be his protege, to learn from him, to study him with him and work with him. But now he uses this mantle to part the river that they cross. Then Elijah asks his protege a question, what can I do for you before I leave? Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. A big ask, but this is symbolic as well. In biblical times, the oldest son would receive a double portion of their father's estate. So here, Elisha asks his mentor to essentially see him as his own son, 
to be the true heir of Elijah's legacy and work. As Elijah is carried into the heavens, Elisha tears his clothes in grief, thinking that his teacher is gone without any sort of confirmation that his wish would be granted. But just then, he sees Elijah's mantle fall to him. Elisha picks it up and dramatically goes to the riverbank and does just like his mentor Elijah does. He parts the Jordan and crosses over on dry land. Here we see the, the symbolizing of the passing of the mantle and the role that the prophet Elisha will now take. Like I said, Elisha will go on to be a wonderful and powerful prophet in his own right. But his prophecy is always seen as that of continuing the work of his teacher, Elijah. In our world today, in our culture of self-promotion, this might prompt us to feel bad for Elisha, perhaps, for never really being able to emerge out of his teacher and mentor's shadow. But I think this shows Elisha's own humility and the power that comes from seeing who we are as intricately connected with those who have come before us, as well as with those who come after us. In my last congregation in Knoxville, Tennessee, a narthex wall leading into the sanctuary adorned large photographs of each of the previous pastors. Every Sunday when I concluded the service, I would give the charge and blessing just like I'll do uh, here today whenever I get done talking. And after that, I would walk out and greet people as they left worship. But there's always that moment where I'm standing in the narthex by myself before anyone else comes out. And at that moment, that brief moment where I'm standing there by myself, I would see the pictures of all of my predecessors staring back at me. At first, it was a little bit intimidating, seeing all these beloved pastor's photographs staring back at me. It was as if I could all hear all of them saying together collectively, is that all you got, kid? Eventually, though, I came to love this weekly ritual. As I would remember the rich heritage of the pastors before me, it was, also, it was almost as if I could feel their collective mantle being placed around me in support and comfort. It reminded me that my ministry there is and would always be connected to theirs, as well as to the pastors who would follow me there. Here at WPC, it is well known among the staff that I always go up to the sanctuary through the historic chapel. Now, sure, it might be a little faster and convenient for my office to get up here that way, but there's another reason I want to share with you. Every time I walk up the front steps of our historic chapel, I think of all the faithful folks in our community who have traveled those steps. I often pause at the plaque at the top of the stairs, too, that names all the pastors of the congregation with the bold words quoting the Gospel of John. Other men have labored, and ye have entered into their labors. The story of the mantle passing from Elijah to Elisha shows us that God calls us to connection, to see ourselves as connected, rooted, and, and um, deeply connected with each other, to see our role as disciples as connected inseparably to every other Christian through our baptism. 
Each of us learned who God is by the faithful guidance of a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a friend, a spouse. Someone helped you know and understand that you are a beloved child of God. Your faith journey is connected to that person who is also connected to you. But really, when you think about it, all of us are connected to each other in faith. Like it or not, friends, we all share in one baptism and have been made siblings in Christ. We have both an ethical and a theological obligation to be there for one another. Even, and maybe especially, be there for those whom we disagree. A challenging thing to say the least in these times, but particularly right now in this moment in which we find ourselves. I think the Apostle Paul puts this kind of connectionalism at best when he says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're called to be there for each other, to show up, to support, to love each other just as we are, just as God made us. You know, the devastating storms that rolled through our community last Wednesday showed us just how connected we are to each other. And I'm not just talking about the power grid and all of us losing power for a few days. In our home, we were lucky to have no damage besides some spoiled food in the refrigerator. But after the storms and winds ripped through our neighborhood, our family took a little walk to see if everyone is okay. Before we knew it, uh, myself and the four of us were um, pulled in with a handful of our neighbors to help pull down, uh, pull down tree branches from our neighbors' homes and yards. I'm sure many of you have similar stories you could share. It was a beautiful and spontaneous moment of neighborliness that we were just pulled into it together, and not just us, our whole, our whole neighborhood. It was a beautiful moment of connection, of seeing ourselves as connected to one another, not just as neighbors, but as fellow children of God. Friends in Christ, when we see ourselves as inseparably connected to one another, there's no limit to what we can do. Really, friends, when we live and act as connected to each other in Christ, there's no limit to what God can do through us. Friends, may we go out into this troubled and broken world to see ourselves as connected to each other, especially with those whom we disagree, to find ways to connect, to love, to support, and remind each other that we are all children of God.